We are proud to partner with MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Students can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, wind time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and so much more. Even my favorite, Synergy Time. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com slash BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash BE. This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies edtech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable, real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com BE. That's IXL.com slash B-E. Welcome to Transformative Principle, where you learn how to be a leader and not just a manager of a to-do list. I'm your host, Jethro Jones. You can find me on Twitter at Jethro Jones. I just want to take a minute and remind you to check out ConradChallenge.org and look at the kinds of things you can do to support students. The Conrad Challenge is really about facilitating 21st century skills of creativity, collaboration, critical thinking, communication. So go and check that out at conradchallenge.org. And if you missed my interview with Nancy Conrad, go check that out as well at transformativeprincipal.org slash Nancy Conrad. I'm Steve Maletto from Teaching, Learning, Leading K-12, a proud member of the Education Podcast Network just like the show you're listening to right now. The opinions expressed are those of the individual hosts. Make sure you check out all the other great podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. And get ready, because the learning begins in 3, 2, 1. Welcome to Transformative Principle. I am excited to have Kelly Young from Education Reimagined on the podcast today. Kelly, welcome and thank you so much for being part of Transformative Principle. Yes, I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for the invitation. You are very welcome. And you and I were connected by Sonia Risley, who is the founder and designer principal of Design 39 Campus, which is a very exciting school that I've talked about before. And definitely search the archives at transformativeprincipal.org to learn more about that school. But uh, she said that I should talk to you because you're doing a lot of cool work with Education Reimagined. Can you talk to us a little bit about what Education Reimagined is, and about the work that you're doing. Yeah, so uh, Education Reimagined, we're a nonprofit in Washington, D.C., and we focus nationally on how can we accelerate shift from a school-centered paradigm of education to a learner-centered education system, such that learner-centered education is available to all kids in the next generation. That's a great, succinct summary of what you do, and there's there's so much more to that. You just dropped a big, huge bomb of 
going from a uh, industrial model to a learner centered model. And can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. So I'm sure you've talked a lot about this on your podcast, but right, we have an industrial model of education that was designed at the last turn of the century and has all sorts of components that are designed to do exactly what they're doing, which is to sort and sift our young people, which is to transfer knowledge. And we have spent billions of dollars trying to fix, modify, improve that current system. And happily, there are many people like you and others out there who are actually realized that no tweaking of this current system will produce the outcomes that we most care about. And those two outcomes are all kids, each and every, and that we have the kinds of outcomes that actually are relevant and pertinent to success in the 21st century today. And so learner-centered education is a we see it as a paradigm shift, a whole new way of seeing kids learning and the purpose of education. So, you know, learner-centered, the paradigm has kids being, uh, the way you see education purpose as learning, not the delivery of education, where you therefore see learners as the primary actor and that learning is done by and with kids, not done to or for them, that learning is a natural phenomenon where uh, when you activate kids' curiosities, interests, passions, aspirations. That's when learning happens. And that really it's to unfurl kids' unique potential um, rather than have, you know, standardized units coming out the other end of education. So that's what we mean by learner-centered. And and there's a vision document that was created uh, by 28 ideologically diverse stakeholders um, that's on our website that you can see that there's a paradigm and then there are five elements that we say um, that naturally emerge inside of that mindset. Excuse me. I would suggest that everybody goes and checks that out. Um, and that's at education-reimagined.org. And it's right there on the front page. It's hard to miss it. And it, it actually invites you to download that first and foremost as you go to that website, which is really good. And uh, having read through this, I hear this continual ding, 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 going off in my mind that yes, that is exactly what I'm looking for because I know that we're not meeting every single student's needs right now with our current system. And the only way we actually meet every student's needs is by making them the center, not our system the center. And right now our system is very much the center. One of the things that that you inspired me when we talked last week just on the phone about what you do was the idea of learning as a natural phenomenon. And what I took away from that phrase that you said again today was that if we don't do anything like education-wise for our children, they're going to learn something anyway, right? And for hundreds of thousands of years, there have been people who have lived on the earth who have learned things without a system like what we have today. You know, uh, Plato did not go through a regular K-12 system to learn. Neither did Galileo, neither did Leonardo da Vinci. And they are some of the greatest minds that I would say some of us are still trying to catch up to. And, you know, kids are going to learn no matter what. And my fear is that we typically, in our current system, stagnate that learning because they don't get to explore things that they're interested in or do things that they want to do, they have to do exactly what the teacher says. Now, that scares a lot of people because we've been trained and brought up in the system that the teacher is right. We need to do what she says. 
how do we how do we make that shift because it is a big shift from thinking that we are the things that are making kids successful to we can be facilitators of that success that they have this natural uh, inclination towards the boy. That was like the longest, most difficult question I think I've asked. No, <laughs> but. no, but you were a lot of good insights in there. And just noting that I think one of the shifts that you're talking about is shifting from the transfer of knowledge and wanting kids to be able to get thing answers right, which means that we're teaching something that's our, that humanity already knows versus what all of the great learners that you just mentioned were doing was investigating something that they didn't understand and that they didn't know um, and were trying to make meaning. And that's where real discovery in, uh, happens and where real learning happens. Even when you're learning something that humanity already does know, when you're discovering it for yourself, that's when real learning is, is happening. So um, and as a side note, I watched um, Einstein. There's a series on National Geographic. And for anybody who's into this work, it's worth watching the first two episodes. It's a 10-part series. Just to see how Einstein handled traditional school. I, I mean, it was, it's a constant theme through the whole, his whole life. How, how education was designed was to transfer what we already know. And when he was trying to investigate things that we didn't know, how he was excluded from the system, including getting kicked out of university, as most people know that he was. And so your question was, how do we help people make this shift? And if I had the magic answer, <laughs> I would make millions <laughs> of dollars and I would go make this shift happen for every human being. I think, you know, part of the, the ways to, to begin to have the insights is to, is to start investigating how do we learn and to really contemplate, like, what are the great learning experiences that, you know, as a, as a human being, we've had and asking teachers about that. And because I would, I will tell you that most people will share experiences where they were passionate about what they were doing or cared for some reason. It was important that they were given the ample room to, to investigate and the support to do it. And that they had people that they, that cared about them and cared about what they were doing to support them. And you know, the more we can get people related and to how we learned was not actually natural. <laughs> and so that when you actually ask us, if you ask people how that when they really had great learning experiences, unfortunately, they were rarely in a classroom setting. They might have been with a great teacher, but they weren't necessarily, they weren't likely in a rows and desks where a teacher was talking at them, but they had some epiphany. That, I, I just got to think for a moment about that. Great learning experiences rarely happen in a classroom or a teaching environment, and I think that is that is just so true. And I'm cycling back through in my mind right now the experiences that I've had where the learning has either stuck really well or has changed me in a way to where I am who I am now, and those experiences have certainly have not been in a typical classroom setting with a, a couple of very few exceptions. One, and, and this is really interesting that I choose this one because this hasn't really changed me, but it has helped me cram for things that I needed to know like in a, in a short period of time. So I had a history teacher in high school who was actually a government teacher and he had a visual 
way of memorizing things. And so he would, you know, memorize all the countries in North and South America by having this visual idea of, I remember still Canada was a can and the Statue of Liberty was holding the can. And then in the other hand was a, was the snake and an eagle that the, the, Statue of Liberty was holding because that was Mexico. And then it went all the way down through South America. And I don't remember all the rest. However, that visual idea of learning, that's what I go back to when I really need to memorize something to accomplish a certain objective. And what's interesting is that I don't use that all the time, but I do use that when I really need to cram. And that has been something that that he taught me. And that's one of the very few in the classroom experiences that I actually remember. Most everything else I just don't remember. But all the other learning experiences have typically been in a time of crisis or struggle where I really need to figure something out. And then I had a a guide or a mentor who helped me pull out of myself, essentially, the things that I needed to learn. So that's, that's really interesting that great learning experiences rarely happen in a classroom setting. Tell me more about that because I need to noodle on that for a minute. <laughs> and what I really want to be careful of is I don't want to make uh, teachers feel bad <laughs> about and and we're all going to have to grapple with that we've been part of a system that hasn't necessarily really tuned into how kids learn and humans learn best. And so, you know, it's a hard one to, to confront. And I would say that the other caveat to that is there are times when great learning does happen in a classroom and it's because it's relevant to the to the people learning it right and it's something that's probably challenging the way you've always thought about something you know your idea of the visualization it was a whole new way of thinking that caught you um, a whole new way of, of remembering something and so it was it was relevant right because you wanted to know how to pass a test <laughs> It was something new. And so there are lots of, there are examples of those kinds of things. But chances are when people think about their really great experiences, like mine was in Model UN and Youth in Government. I loved all of those programs and learning how to public speak, uh, how to interact, how to write, to have an idea and write a proposal, a solution for it was some of my greatest, my greatest learning. And that was at the YMCA. Um, And I'm still grateful for those experiences. Yeah. And so those, the things that I hear from adults now is that looking back, it was the activities that they were involved in so much more than the classes that they took with, you know, a few exceptions, but typically it's the activities and the things that you're doing, the projects that you're working on that are really meaningful. And so, you know, why do you think it is that when teachers experience that and they know that and they feel that it's so hard for them to let go of this need to be the sage on the stage or be, you know, the dispenser of information rather than the questioner of information. Why is that so hard for them to let go of? Yeah, I think partly, and it's for everybody that it's hard to let go of, including parents who hold on to an idea of how education should be. It's because it's what we experienced and what we know. And that it's, it's really hard to teach in a way that you've never experienced yourself. And, you know, I, because I have, um, I was a teacher, but only for two years, um, right out of college. My kind of go-to personal experiences are in the realm of being a parent. And so there's some analogies, right? Because parents are 
the first teacher. And so when my kids were really young, my daughter was giving me a run for my money. <laughs> um, nothing like my son who's older. Um, and we were, we fought like cats and dogs at the age of two and three, like ferociously. And so finally I decided that I should look, take a look at myself and maybe there's not something wrong with her that maybe how I'm parenting could alter. And I went to a parenting class um, that was actually turned out quite learner centered. And they suggested (laughs) that, you know, as I'm battling her to get her shoes on, to get out the door and yelling and getting mad at her for not, for making me late for work and for, for school. Um, that what if I engaged her the night before or the week before even and said, let's create a plan together for how do we get out of the house and actually see what she would say are the ways that would make it work for her and for me. And so we did that. And I will tell you, not only did we start getting out of the door on time, she is the one who gets me out of the door every morning now. She's the one who gets <laughs> Um, because she got to see, oh, like she could actually be responsible for this. So I think that, you know, I'm actually having this insight as I even share this, that one of the questions, the insights can be when you're really struggling with it, with a student or a class to start, instead of thinking that the problem is them, start investigating what might I do differently? And then how can I engage the young people in solving the problem? Um, and I think that's where some of your biggest, at least for me, that has always been where the biggest insights come from is when I actually ask the kids and start engaging them on what would really work for you. Huh. I, I like that. Now, I'm, I'm dealing with some of that at my school right now where there are, there are struggles. And one of the teachers that I greatly respect is saying, gosh, this just isn't working. And she's trying really hard to be more learner-centered. And she's probably listening to this. And so I just want to say, thank you. You're doing a great job. Don't give up. (laughs) But also, like, she's asking, what might I do differently? And I think I'm definitely going to go to her today and say, ask the kids what role they can play in in fixing the problem that's before us. That's, That's a really great suggestion and something that... What's interesting is that typically kids who are making it bad for other kids, that's usually a very small number of kids that are causing those problems. And if the kids were engaged in that process, they would probably be more invested in the solution. And my fear, bluntly, is that they would say, well, we need to kick those kids out of school. They need to be suspended because that's what they know. And that's what the system has taught them. And I, that's not the right answer because every kid deserves to learn, even those who struggle in our current system. So, so what's your advice there when kids are, are at that point? Yeah. You know, one is it's always risky or it always feels risky to engage and invite kids into the conversation because of exactly what you pointed out is like, what if like they say, something that one, you know, the risk is that they're going to want something that is not allowed or can't be done or that we think shouldn't be done. Right. Which is the example that you just gave. In my experience, one is that once an authentic space for actually talking about it is, is that they evolve their own thinking. Like, let's say that they initially did think that there are kids in the classroom who know that that is not going to solve anything for the kids getting kicked out. Right. 
And so then say, okay, you know, so how, since that's not really a solution, what is the solution? And, and even starting with the person who's acting out, right? They're acting out for a reason. They don't have something that they're not getting something that they really need. And uh, can I tell a quick story? Yes, um, please. So you can read this story on our website, um, but from a, a young man named Jamar Lee, who's just recently graduated from a learner-centered site in, at Iowa Big in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. And he tells the story of, of him acting out starting in second grade and, you know, getting the timeouts, getting the uh, detentions, getting finally, as you know, he's getting into ninth grade, getting the suspensions to him in 10th grade getting kicked out uh, or just about um, actually escorted out by the police. And his principal helped him get find a learner-centered site. And he went to Iowa Big. And when we met him six months later, you, there's no way you would have ever known this about him. There was just it was just impossible to believe <laughs> that any of that could have possibly happened with this young man, because he was um, actually doing an architecture project. He had designed a interior uh, design for a site for this for his school, and it actually had been adopted and built. He was active in his community, helping build a pedestrian bridge and. What he describes, because I think there's great insight from talking to young people who didn't, he didn't have the words to describe what was missing for him, but something obviously was missing. And part of it was control. He wanted to be able to have a say in what he was learning. And, but he didn't know how to ask for that or how to say it. And so starting with the people who are most acting out, helping them find a role in, in creating the solution together authentically and being willing to try some perhaps outlandish things. Um, yeah, there's no guarantee, but it's really worth exploring. Yeah, and definitely, I agree, definitely worthwhile. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Kelly Young. I'm going to come back next week and we're going to talk about equity issues in doing this kind of an approach to education. And then we're also going to talk about how it's okay for people to learn different things. So I look forward to chatting with Kelly more next week and I hope you come back to Transformative Principle. You can get the show notes for this with links to uh, things we talked about at transformativeprinciple.org. Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all these goals. That's IXL.com BE. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all of those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flexible time without all the headaches you get with it usually. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com slash BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. 
That's myflexlearning.com slash B-E.